Hello guys, welcome to the Moringa School podcast. So today we are talking about psychology and tech and some of our talking points will be social media and mental health, uh, AI and employability and learning. Welcome to the podcast and enjoy. Hi guys, welcome back to the Moringa podcast. In studio, Kevin Ahere. Uh, hi guys, this is Eugene. Uh, this is Victor Ireri. Michelle Atieno. Hi guys, it's Melissa. This is Leo Igane and uh, with us it's Bwana Kwesi. I'll let him introduce himself. Uh, so hi guys, I'm Kwesi Makonen, just another guy in tech. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So Kwesi, we brought you on today to speak about a topic we know you're very passionate about, the interaction of the mind with tech. So tell the audience a little bit more about your background. Uh, so I'm an undergrad in psychology, mm-hmm. can say that. And yeah, I've done a little bit of tech and maybe in the long term I want to maybe merge both and create a field of my own. So tell us a bit more about why why did you choose to go into the world of tech from psychology? It seems like um an interesting transition. Yeah, an interesting transition. Tell us about that. Yeah, so I can say there are parallels between the two fields. You can feel that they don't merge together. But I think when it comes to tech, you have to understand how the interaction between people and your technology. So as time goes, I believe maybe AI has to understand how people interact with the technology so that you can have more effective technology for people. So I can say that's my that's how I decided to jump from psychology to tech. Okay. Um so let's let's jump right into a topic we've heard you speak about before. Um this is like the interaction of the human mind with social media and how it's shaping like our society to be different from anything we've seen in the past. So like tell us a bit more about um how you think humans of the future, like how social media is affecting our brains and how we relate with each other. Um, so I can say about social media is that it has created spaces that did not exist. So how people interact on social media is not some places, some discussions hold, held there are not discussions people have face to face because now you can be able to morph yourself into something to speak more, you're able to create circles with other people who you have the same ideas with, now you can discuss to full length about this stuff. And these are people who are not close to you, they are across the world. So I can say the global village effect is very, it's very good. And that's, that's how social media has affected us. But I think it's something that I cannot expound fully at the moment. Yeah. 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 And, and with, with, the, with the issue of social media, my question then being, is there space for, from, a, from a psych perspective for ethical programs. There's a time that uh, I was having a debate with somebody and I'm like, if you're creating a program, you shouldn't really cons- consider whether you know people will be addicted to it or not because every person in a liberal society is accountable to their own actions. But what do you think? I'd like to hear your thoughts on that, on whether when you're creating an application, should you consider the other factors and uh, you know getting an in-house psychologist to see how people will interact with the application? Will it be adverse? Will they be addicted? And stuff like that. Well, what do you think about yes, the, think that space? You have to consider your people. They can see that when you create a program because the the long-term effects of using a program coming from kids and adults also you have the you have the power i can say to change how interactions happened so if you look at something like facebook and instagram before they merged these were very different spaces and how people interacted on them is very different so some i can say this the rise of influencers if you look at instagram so these are source of income people have now come to get from social media so how people interact on these spaces you have to curb it so i can example there's a lot of uh, 
fake influencers if you can say that or a lot of con people so these are things you have to consider i don't know if a psychologist can only do this but also feedback so you have to get feedback from people you have to understand what people want and people don't want so that you can see the features you can add features you can remove pushing 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 the envelope a bit further and and pushing back a bit if i was to ask so everything you've mentioned is available in the larger society and if you're creating a platform where people interact with each other basically what you're doing is just taking a snapshot of society and making it digital right so the interactions will be the same con people are there in face to face transactions just like online and there are aspects of addiction and stuff like that with anything too much of anything is bad there's food addictions there's addictions to all sorts of things there are different personalities that are addictive but so does is that then for example in the space of a startup right you have a bright idea and you want to create it you don't have the finances necessary to take into consideration certain things right so shouldn't there be space for you to make something and you know kind of see because uh, to, if we are to then start thinking of social uh, fallout for every application we build we might not even make an application because the society by and large is also flawed and has some aspects of vice in it Yes, I can say I think you have to you have to do what you think is right for you. So do the startup. I can say that p- people react to how you do things. Buddhists can be formed even the government can get in and say we don't want this, we want this. You can see what has happened to China. For example, the interaction on social media is very different from what you can say that we do know. Yes, yes, yes. So I can say do do what you do what you do. There's a reaction that will happen. People will either support you and how people interact with the application will actually give it life. So I can say example things like Facebook and Twitter when this social media platform started i don't believe the the vision was what they they are now yeah. I believe they got a life of their own yeah. so i can say that's what will happen so yeah. as much as you interact with as much as you're this you're the person creating it its life will be held by the people who are using it because yes. as end, as as techno, as we say about technology it's not it's not what you want it's what yes. people want yes yeah And maybe to add on this I'm not a psychologist myself but sometimes I feel like in this day and age we have like a tremendous amount of competition for attention you know there's Facebook there's Instagram there's Twitter there's Snapchat there's all of these even even on the mobile apps for instance you go there's Clash of Kings there's Lords there's everything I feel like now these psychologists are not Uh, when when applications are being built and they they are considering the, the aspect of addiction i feel like their aim is not to build an application that will be interesting and not addictive it's building it as addictive as possibly yeah. possible yeah. so that they can retain clients and even sort of a, a wash away the the, the competition yeah. so I, in terms of a, if you think about it from a moral perspective I really don't think it's there. <laughs> I think it's all about business and uh, just gaining as much followers as you can and retaining them, you know, and just having that active number of users. So I, I don't think it's, it's a question of, it's any more question of how can we, how can psychologists help that is um, reduce addiction to social media and internet and technology. It's a question of how can they increase it in terms of the business and corporate world of uh, technology and so applications. I can, I, can, I can say that if you look at Facebook, you yeah. can say there's an increase in the amount of, amount of psychologists they have on board mm. so that they can increase how you interact. But also, let me use the gaming, gaming sector, for example. So we have EA, mm. which has had a massive criticism because they have something called loot boxes mm-hmm. which is maybe if you log in every day in the morning you get a loot box which gives you free money yeah. so this becomes it's like a 
it's like a casino yeah. mm-hmm. so there's that rush every day if i get in the money i'm getting more money and more money and more money yeah, and actually the, e- once, the once eu has stepped in and told them that this is actually gambling and mm-hmm. they they're going to ban it because they're selling games to kids mm-hmm. and so you're creating a gambling addiction to children mm-hmm. so i can say also that as i'm saying bodies will even come in and notice what is happening so Tech, as I can say about technology, people will know what you're doing. Yeah. On the long run, and if it's if it's greed and if it's I can say bad, mm-hmm. you'll be stopped. I so, believe so. So then, does your your other profession then bear responsibility for spoiling uh, our sector as techies? You guys come in and you make our applications worse for the society. <laughs> Uh, do 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 you think that the the psychology sector has kind of uh, failed society in that regard when they merge with tech uh, so i can say maybe <laughs> worse because like victor said yeah. right psychologists come in not to improve but to make the games because they they, have, they, they study the mind to make the games more addictive mm. that's an adverse reaction for the society so psychs coming in come in to make the game worse okay not, not worse but i can say to benefit the, the, the companies company. not yeah. the users yeah. yes yes i can say maybe bad for the society uh, employment of psychologists into the field they can say stems from demand mm. and supply mm. so people a company can tell can call psychologists because they want to understand maybe people are not logging into our app enough mm. maybe there's low retention so you come you bring these people on board and they are able to tell you to judge by the data that is provided that this and this is what can happen so i can say also data science gets gets into this but i think that's a discussion for another moment also yeah okay okay um i recently saw a study on the effect of social media on like young people growing up in the formative stages of their life um i don't think it was a surprising outcome but i saw that um it was a study done in the us so for girls aged between let's say so they had um a few groups so girls aged between 9 to 11 and also between let's say 12 and 15 like um the graph for like girls who are like um self harming cutting themselves and just depressed in general like there was a sharp spike which um like which was around 2000 and between 2008 and 2011 which was uh, around the same time that um facebook and twitter and all these things came up so um they tried to explain it in terms of like as human beings we already have um like a natural inclination to comp- to compare ourselves to others mm. so like um just before like social media it was um maybe that girl has better shoes than mine or in my case um that guy has that the the white pelican rubber you know do you guys remember that eraser yeah like yeah yeah big block yeah so that so that white pelican eraser i'm like hey, I'm, i'm going to become number one yeah, or something yeah, yeah. Or, or maybe like i have i have a ps2 and, and the ps3 has just come out yeah. so like then it's 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 much easier because it's just people around you So right now um I have a little brother who's like 11 years old. So he's um in his mind I feel he he compares himself to let's say maybe like he can get on YouTube and see 11 year olds in in Dubai who own like Tigers and Ferraris and stuff like that. 11 year olds. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So um like what do you think um 
yeah, what do you think of that whole situation where like social media has opened has opened up the world in terms of opportunities, but also like it might give you a false picture of the world. You might think you're much worse off than you than you really are. Mm. So like what what are some of your thoughts on vacancy? It's the standards that people keep and also these people enjoy envy, can see. Mm-hmm. So people like envy and being jealous. Of, of making people jealous, I can say. But also, it stems from us also glorifying the very few people. So I can say even something like music. If you look at maybe radio, radio will play a very few selected group of people who have made it. But there's also good music outside. Yeah. So I can say we glorify the very few people. Then this becomes, this is what is seen as a standard on social media. So you can say maybe a very few segment of people, maybe the rich people, or be guys who have good channels or... I don't. I, I'm not much on Instagram, but I can also maybe Instagram profiles. So these people, I can say not the beacon, but this is what people. This is what is expected to be normal. And also, we always glorify the good, the good days or the, the, the yeah, the good days. I can say, but people don't see the rest of your life. Yeah. And also for kids, I, don't, I, don't, I, I haven't seen much studies talking about kids, so I cannot really get, get deep into that. Permit, permit me to. Uh, to ask also in regards to what Kevin has said. You see, most of the time, we know most of the people are faking it. We've had so many exposés. So we look at Instagram, and in our brain, there's something that tells us this person is probably faking it, right? Probably that's not their car, right? But then, if you can talk from a psych perspective, why doesn't that register? Why do we still subconsciously feel like you know, MBS of somebody who's displaying something that's evidently probably not even theirs. Leave even that, even somebody that we know. Like, for example, you guys know me, right? You you know that probably I don't have a Lambo, right? Right? I, I, I probably win something and I get to go to Dubs. It's not my money. I've just won something. I'm in Dubs. I take a picture next to a, a Lamborghini. All of you know that's not my Lamborghini. But still, yet, all of you might have, or some of you might have a certain jealousy towards something that's evidently not mine. Where is the disconnect between reality that definitely that's not his to the fact that you still feel jealous although that person is stunting on with something that's not theirs? Uh, some stuff, I think, maybe it's just human human nature. Uh, so, I don't know I can explain it. Maybe maybe I can add on to what Leo has said. Um, with me personally, I think all of us are on social media and we see these things. And um, for me, overcoming such things like envy, of, of course I get envious and jealous at times, but um, with age and maturity and just knowing like there's a... There's a difference between these things that people are posting and what is happening in real life. Most of the time when you have conversations with people and they tell you, oh, my life is like this and like this, and then what they're portraying on social media, they're two different things. So I think having just, with age and maturity, you'd have to know like, um, this is real and this is fake. It's not even a matter of studies or anything. It's just a matter of just knowing, like, I don't know. Maybe what else does uh, what can you uh, say? One one time, me and my and, and relative of mine were having this conversation. Or like, technology is officially beating parents to the punch in terms of raising kids, you know. And we were actually the, we we like we we, we try to put a percentage to it. And nowadays, like, what percentage of parenting does actually a parent do when you have an, an at nine year old, eight year old kid with that with a phone and Wi-Fi? And realize it's almost like just the parents ten percent, the rest ninety is to technology, you know. And like my question would be like, 
do you feel like there's a way parents can manage to sort of not filter but uh constantly reinforce the notion to their kids that what they see is not what they expect out of life like when you see someone uh playing an xbox a new one you need to understand that that's their financial status and not mine yeah and okukwetu ah in our house <laughs> i always fix a in podcast and i'll try not to yeah like in this house this how it is this how it is like it it is it should is it like sort of forcing parents to more transparency even in their personal lives so that kids can understand what to expect in terms of social status yeah yeah i think um it's not the technology's job to raise your child yeah. Yeah. parents should actually just raise their children i'm not a parent myself but um if your child is if from what i've seen if if i if i've given like a like my little cousin my phone i can't allow them to like go just anywhere in my phone mm. i have to monitor them i tell them hi this is where the game is and i have to watch them play that game i just can't let them do anything so the same way um, parents monitor like youtube there's a youtube i think there's youtube kids right yeah. mm. um there's on your tv you have like parental advisory your, your kids can't access certain channels so mm. parents definitely if your child is using technology they definitely need to moni- be monitored me i wouldn't even mind putting um a tracker on my phone's child on my child's phone sorry mm-hmm. you know there's nothing wrong with prote- protecting your child and um i think parents should also take an initiative to know what their kids are doing on social media if their kids are on social media and i've seen also accounts of babies of babies babies so a child who doesn't even know how what an instagram is you know and they're actually on social media and they have like a thousand and thousands of followers and then these accounts are managed by their parents mm. so parents should actually just take the responsibility of raising their own children and not letting um this technology device and yeah. social media and exactly. everything yeah, but i can say also maybe limiting exposure So you have to limit some exposure of your children to maybe a certain aspect of technology because you can say they're not prepared for this but also comes another problem because your kids have friends yeah mm. your friends may have this exposure and there's also peer pressure so you might say that you don't want your kid to access this but what is happening there this kid is updated because i don't, i think if you look at society today people kids are like kids are actually growing in schools and not at home because mm. you're at home maybe for nine hours three hours then you sleep then you're back in school mm. so it's actually kids ra- raising kids not parents raising kids <laughs> so now it's now social media and and kids raising, raising kids. kids so i can say it's very hard for you to control this but I can, as i can say eventually as you get to understand technology i believe there'll be new rules and new guidelines on maybe how things happen but not anytime soon because technology at this point we cannot grasp how fast it's growing so we cannot maybe set limits and standards that can affect can control how kids interact with this with social media so, fortunately speaking of new rules and new ways of interacting um there's something i like to call like lust so right now yeah it's it's a phenomenon that's never been there before like so like last. yeah like um you you get you post a photo on Instagram and then like you get likes and you get a little hit of, of dopamine mm. then you feel like better mm. about yourself and stuff like that so um do you, do you see it's like affecting like society as a whole in the long term uh, so i can say i think it's approval so people want approval yeah like people want to to know that as i am not i can be accepted but i'm good or i'm okay mm-hmm. so maybe i can say this does not this is not something that happens in normal interactions with people you don't get that validation that you need mm-hmm. so social media is able to provide that 
And so when you feel that acceptance in society, especially as a young person, because you know, mm. this is a time where you're in conflict, you don't know what you should do, you don't know if you're doing things right. So yeah. people, when you jump into social media and understand that people actually think I'm living a good life. Yeah. So I can say that is one thing. And But what was your question? Yeah, like how, how you think um, it could affect society large scale? Do you, do you think we could go into a time where like no one is really actually doing anything, but you you try to maximize um like the 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 online persona more than the actual work you're doing like you put in more work into who your online persona is than actually doing work on yourself so the funny thing i can say there's a movie that came out touching on this ready player one you've seen it where you create mm-hmm. there's a whole virtual world where people are actually living in the virtual world yes create money you earn in, in today's world you actually push it into the virtual world so that you can create a persona mm. or an avatar that mm. is is good so i can't i don't know for now no but eventually yes especially as ai and tech is coming in i believe it will come a time when we will not have jobs and people will have to create lives in other ways because if you look at society today or the past hundred years people used to define themselves with the jobs they do or people create interaction with the jobs they do you have friends from your jobs when you introduce yourself you say I'm so and so and this is my job mm. but as AI comes in and all these jobs will be taken eventually I think maybe that's when we can go into that direction but also I can say we, we cannot really know at this moment but do yes. you think like in terms of personal branding for example um, people judge you nowadays by your online persona you know i've gone for interviews where someone says oh you know we'll do a background check on you and then we'll check your social media and see what you're posting and then decide if you're a good fit so you know your linkedin profile your twitter your facebook in a way we sort of have to monitor what we post or censor what we really think because it it affects our employment I guess our employability. So what are your thoughts on that on just online personas and real life personas? Do you think what are your thoughts on that? to build on that. Yeah. Just because I think it's an aspect of like how tech shapes the human identity. Mm. So as you've said there's that online persona and the real you is there like a psychological like a mental consequence of having that schism between the you you and the online you so what consequences are there like it's something akin to something that's similar to a split personality so what are the actual effects residual effects on the person who day to day has to live these two separate identities like have a nice perfect life online yeah but still deal with the fact that consciously knowing you your life isn't that good or like having to like you say monitor your posts like curate yeah curate your content practice some sort of self-censorship in order to fit a certain brand or display a certain persona so it means like you're suppressing another aspect of yourself that you think might not be politically correct or might not be well appreciated by the people whom you really want to interact with now or in the future. So what do you think mm. are the it, consequences of yeah, that? It's yeah, it's sort of intentional, like sculpting yeah, yeah. You craft an this, image of exactly, yeah. what you want people to think you so are. I yeah. can touch on something I've said, political correctness, which has become a very big debate online at the moment. Uh, so people have to fit the script that is being accepted by everyone. Um, so I don't, I, when it comes to interactions, I don't know how it affects, but we have seen this, um, there's been huge conflict online. And 
I can't. For now, I can't actually expound on that. I think Maybe. there's nothing wrong with uh, curating a persona mm-hmm. online. If I want to attract certain people, I definitely will put out something that those people will want to see. As long as, um, how, how do I explain this? As long as they remain truthful, maybe? As long as I can back it up. As long okay. as it doesn't interfere with, it doesn't make me look like um, lying. Fake. Exactly. As long as I'm doing what I'm saying, mm. I'm putting out there. For example, that guy, um, Wilkins, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, he had an online personality, <laughs> but he's doing nothing, you know. Yeah, just yeah. to to con- to contextualize that whole situation, actually, me and Kwesi actually had some dealings with this guy. So we were, we were part of uh, a youth organization known as ISEC in the past. So what uh, one of the one of the products we were running, we were trying to get interns into the country through a program they were calling Global Entrepreneurs. So Wilkins had this um, the first company called Fashion Torch Africa. Do you remember trying to get GEs through Fashion Touch Africa? Yeah, I've, I've had a Fashion Touch Africa. Yeah. So, um, so um, we were while well, well, we were in Isaac. In I, I was in. I went to Jomo Kenyatta University. Kwesi went to Kenyatta University. Yeah. Um, so yeah, like we had run-ins with Wilkins, and through his online profiles, I was sold. I was like, wow, this guy has an, his own accelerator. He has a hub. We're going to get like 500 interns into the country, and then um, uh-huh. like I would have been shocked to have like bringing interns from Sweden. I At your young age. No, like like we needed to do that. No, um, so it's a global organization. So they're yeah. all university age people. Okay. So um, like with with like, yeah, that was like a really interesting case because if if you, if you look at his LinkedIn and the stuff he posts and like you really think he's the man behind brands like covering all these people, like we'd have been shocked. Any um. Yeah, we'd have brought in interns from I don't know Germany or something, and they'd have been sent for tomatoes. If, if you know what I mean. Mm. Yeah, so it's it's amazing like what you can do just simply with with social media, but like it it just brings in the whole conversation about how truthful should you be? Like, should you maximize it and just build like as an amazing a persona as you can? Or limit it to to like what's happening in your real life. Uh, so for now, I I don't know if there's a right answer to this, but I can say always if you're not if you want if it matters with how you're using social media. So like people who want to create that persona maybe because they want to use it can say maybe if you're an influencer if yeah. you have a brand or if this is a way for marketing for mm-hmm. maybe a company. So I can say with that you can be truthful, but you should also limit some stuff. The stuff you cannot tell people, and also as a As a normal person interacting on social media, maybe trying to know what are the trends in expressing yourself, I can't also you should have limits. There are things that you should not always talk about on social media. And also I can say you should also have boxes maybe. So there's something you can say on Twitter, there's something you can do on Facebook, there's something you can do on Instagram, there's something you can put on, on WhatsApp. But you should not mix all this content together. Maybe mm. I can say that maybe have them differently. But people do. Um People put all this. You'll find a picture of um, me in my fashion outfit, and then a picture of me and my um, little family. You know, people usually mix these things. Um, but I just think that um, if you're, I don't know, social media is it has lines nowadays. You're either promoting something as a brand, or you're just 
putting stuff out there for people to see. So it doesn't really matter. But as long as if you're promoting a brand and you're um, seeking employment to target certain people, be truthful and honest, but you know, keep the personal out. Just be professional. If you're if you're on social media to be professional, be professional. And if you're there to have fun, please have fun. Social media, I think, was created to have for people to have fun, interact. But right now the lines are blurred, so I don't know. There's sponsorships, there's money in it, so yeah. So speaking of that, I think it's reminded me of something. Since it's basically about as humans interface with tech and social media, it's like we are creating uh, the personas or perception about something. So, in a larger context, from a societal point of view, because how how do you how do you see it affecting uh, the ideas of a society in its entirety? like shaping the agendas of discussion at a particular moment or even for politics like influencing votes influencing the ideas people are going to take because there's a there's a time in example a good example in Kenya after that a Facebook Cambridge Analytica thing so we found out that they were using it they were using social media and data they got from that to actually uh, push content that would actually influence the people to get them to vote in a certain particular it has happened everywhere else also in some places whereby you find that uh, the, uh, it was in Iran I think a couple of years back when this guy called Ahmadinejad was president the Twitter was the, gov- the US government pushed for Twitter to remain active because it was being used by the protesters to push for their, their their opinion and their discussion so that they could at least try to topple the government. So to what extent do you think this actually affects shaping opinion of the masses in a large in, 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 in a large context? Yeah. And so I can say there are maybe two sides. So you can start maybe from the corporate sides. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's, as you have said, propaganda. Mm-hmm. Yes. So you can find that maybe they're muting some, a section. So I can touch on WeChat example. So on WeChat, there was a time, I don't know, um, I think so, uh, North Korea's president, uh, when he met Trump. Mm-hmm. So people were creating in, insults, and so WeChat was able to mute anything anything that is, anybody speaking about him, was, was the content was not being sent. So I can say also there's that propaganda from maybe the corporates. Mm-hmm. So they got, also as I've said, when it comes to power, it's very touchy because mm-hmm. power can control social media, and that affects how people make choices, as I've said, mm-hmm. when it comes to politics. Mm-hmm and elections also comes to the people. So I believe it's it's the people who, it's the influencers who we have that are going to also shape how things go around. So I can say like on Twitter, as you have said, Fadili. So I'm sure maybe he's, the rant, he's, when his whole case came about, I'm sure it's someone, someone who's very well known on the social media platform, took it up and liked yeah. it or Amplified. Amplified it, yes, amplified it. So I can say also it's the people who have the power of other people. So I can say people enjoy propaganda is there. We cannot really control how it how we disseminate information. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it has a it has a massive control. And speaking of information, um, what do you think about tech and education from a psychologist's perspective? So the way we learn and acquire knowledge online, um, what are your thoughts on on that? So I can say tech, technology has helped when it comes to education massively because now we can get you can learn stuff for free. Uh, you can put content out there that I can say it was not easy for you to put it in a classroom. And also I can say 
it has allowed us to be very progressive. For example, when you're writing a curriculum, you can write a curriculum maybe that is outdated, but when it comes to online, you can create content every day. As something new happens, or as you guys discover something new, you can always improve on it. And also I can say technology, it's also how you teach. So maybe you have these big schools where they have projectors in class, maybe. I don't know I, I don't know how I can define it but it has also progressively it has improved education and also we can say on the long run we have things like VR that is also going to be of massive impact how mm. education is going to okay. grow and become an ask if I can pivot to strictly psychology for a minute and ask about emotions do they contribute to intelligence Emotions. In either, if you're so emotional, you're not that intelligent, or if you're so emotional, you're very intelligent. What's the relationship between emotions and intelligence? And this is why I'm asking. You find that when we're talking about the whole aspect of social media and influencing people on a mass scale, there are certain assumptions that people make. Number one is, it's so people are so gullible, but always it's spoken in third party. Nobody says, we are so gullible. You always assume those people are so gullible they can be influenced. You never realize that you are also a person. You get. So we always speak about it like this bunch of people who are also gullible and can be influenced. So my question is, does emotional play to, to, to intelligence or one making sound judgments? And is it really that easy to just influence people? on a mass scale as the way people assume. Like, for example, it's the Russian bots that made Trump win, or you know, you can just influence people. And if so, then why hasn't it been done yet? Why do, don't, for example, companies that have billions and billions of dollars, more budgets than a country, just influence people, for example, to just drink Coca-Cola and only Coca-Cola? So yeah, uh, touch so on that. I can see maybe. Intelligence, yeah. so- on emotional intelligence, I can say emotions affect the decisions we make. Mm-hmm. So it does not really affect intelligence, but it also has a the end result will be affected by your emotions and your choices. So also this comes to cog- to biases. So we ha- we tend to select things that fit into certain things we believe in, example, or maybe information that has been provided to us before, or something that approves of what we know or what we have heard of. Um, so that's that's one problem that you have. Maybe when it comes to social media, also people have to people have to think about what they are, what they agree to or what. They, actually, you have to control the content that you are consuming, because whatever you hear, whatever you listen, this becomes a this become it becomes an idea. And also, as you have touched, finally, I can say that something that Carl Jung said. So he's the psychology pioneer. So it's that. People don't have ideas. Ideas have people. Mm-hmm. So in certain, in whatever idea you can think, how weird it is, how odd it is, you'll find that there are people who support this, there are people yes. who fit into these mm-hmm. categories. Yeah. So mm-hmm. social media has also given these people a platform. So I can say this, there's this guy who used to have a content where he, a hate channel, but he was lately removed from also social media platforms. Alex Jones. Alex Jones. Alex Jones. Yeah. yeah, so you can see. But if you look at the, the, the people he had, he was very well financed. People backed him up, and mm. I can say that he fit, he fit a certain segment of people, mm. and he communicated to them, and that's what they wanted to hear. So that's another thing that social media has created. 
So most of these guys who run these tech companies, they have their kids in schools and settings whereby they are not necessarily constantly exposed to technology. They get time to learn and grow in spaces whereby the influence of technology is minim- is mini- is minimal, so they're not interfacing with tech as much. So I think that enables them enables actually their brains to, to develop in a way because of uh, neuroplasticity and the way the brain constantly readapts. So they have their brain isn't necessarily influenced by tech constantly or the effects of social media as it grows so the brain forms in a more normal way than most kids will have it nowadays because of constant exposure to tech so that is my opinion my perspective on minimizing the effects of ADD and uh, like better aspect of cognitive control when it comes to to kids and tech yeah That's interesting. Um I'm curious to know what your views are on new forms of technology and how that affects the workspace or the labor market. So for example with artificial intelligence um it's also known as cognitive computing. So I think over time what we're going to see is a massive shift in employability and also the type of work that we do. So a lot of things are getting automated like data entry, even coding to some extent. So do you think that it's a good thing because it leads to more leisure activities or do you think it's going to make the labor market or people in employment lazier or unemployed? What are your thoughts on new forms of technology and employability? Mm, so I can say a lot of jobs will be taken but also it will create a lot of jobs. So maybe people have to start carving out new careers and there'll be that dissonance I can say from what you're usually used to maybe if you're maybe used to marketing or even people with office jobs now have to start reintegrating themselves as a, a with a new persona a new way to interact with the, with the world and how to earn money and also as i've said the job you do also affects your personality and who you are so i can say it will create a lot of tension at first but also eventually because it's our generation that is going to get into this market and our generation has actually grown with this technology so i can say it's not all that bad and and negative. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I think just that battle with man and machine, um a lot of researchers argue that the one thing that you can't replicate or you can't really automate is creativity. So I mean how, how do you think we can foster creativity amongst humans if that's even possible? Do you think creativity can be automated? Mm, because we mentioned creativity mm-hmm. one thing we should do is deconstruct creativity what is creativity right because there are also there's also art produced by ai this building being designed by ai so mm-hmm. what exactly is creativity yeah mm, so for creativity i can say it's okay creativity is not always coming up with an original idea mm-hmm. it's to take something and creating something new I can say an experience of your own not copying something that is outside there but also something that is approvable and quality so i can i can say that's my definition of creativity uh, so when it comes to if affecting creativity i can say also, as i can say it's exposure so when you're exposed to something at an early age also you're able to generate ideas regarding it so i can say example maybe if you look at musicians if you start playing music at an early age then only when you get at an older level older age can you be able to know get to the specificity of us of quality and yeah i can say maybe quality mm-hmm. of what you're producing what you're making so i can say also our exposure to technology has actually increased our creativity so mm-hmm. as you can see this generation this dot com generation a lot of the apps we're creating it's our the previous generation that's generation 
baby uh, boomers baby boomers mm-hmm. you can say that they are not able to hop onto this technology with great ease you still look at something like facebook if you look at people lower than the ages of 30 and the guys guys these guys have moved out of facebook but if you look at facebook mean demography is actually early 30s 30s and beyond and it's there to stay so i can say also creativity it, it will affect creativity on a, on the long term and at this moment we when new technology these technologies that are actually being developed for the next 5 and 10 years vr ar and all that stuff will to morph in a new level of type of creativity mm-hmm. that at this moment i don't know if i can define at this moment or even have an idea of mm-hmm. yeah. i, I, I want to ask a question right one of the things that will happen when uh, manual jobs or jobs that are repetitive become more and more automated is we need to reimagine how we educate so i think to stay relevant you need to continually innovate can you teach innovation can you teach somebody how to innovate is it something that somebody is it a skill that is acquired or is it a talent somebody is born with or does it come from just experience in life can you take somebody to class and in a few weeks month that person acquires the capacity to innovate Uh, so for innovation i think most of, most of it i can say steps from this stems from necessity so if something is needed someone will step out of their way to maybe create content curriculum that can create a certain type of people who are able to meet this demand or necessity so i can say you can teach innovation because a lot of stuff that happens is by fumbling around and getting the gist of it so facebook as much as they don't accept it facebook is a child of my space Yes. Facebook had time to see what MySpace did wrong and they did better. Google had to see what Yahoo did. Yes. So I can say you cannot really teach innovation, it will just happen. But also when it comes to on education, yeah, education will change. But at the moment I don't know how it can change because now will are you going to have, be having robots in classes? Are you going to reduce teachers because you know also teachers have repetitive jobs. So it's very very vague at the moment I can say if you look like uh, if you look if you look at a sector like um health um the the they had um problems in like let's say data right so right now they've had to innovate around data so that they can better assess their patients they can better recommend better uh, prescri- medicine pre- prescriptions for their for their patients and stuff like that in all industries across if you look at lawyers lawyers right now Um, let's say if you want to get a, a valid document or an, about something, all of that is put online, right? Mm-hmm. So it takes innovation in order to change an industry. And regardless of whether we don't want to change, it has to change. In the banking sector, it was it was going to the bank, having a bank account. And right now you can have an account on your phone. Innovation has to happen regardless in all sectors. That's what my thought is. Uh, a question I have it's just an, an idea so about ai since most of the work is repetitive especially education stuff like that what do you think would be the consequence of having ai or robots something akin to that like the robot news anchor that was created or something of that sort being in class teaching students how do you think what what do you think would be the outcome or how do you think uh, uh, so for me I can say it will be negative because uh-huh. if you look at how teachers teach I can say every teacher has a way of teaching mm-hmm. and also a teacher has a different way to teach different kids mm-hmm. so generating all these can, can I say possibilities mm-hmm. of how teaching can happen will be very complicated when it comes to AI mm-hmm. 
but and also ai as we are trying to create now is to replicate what humans are doing yeah. so as time goes also human behavior is changing so we also telling ai it has to be catching up with what humans are doing yeah. so i can say it i don't think it's good also because also you are removing the human aspect when it comes to education which is vital so in the same aspect technology is supposed to help um people mm-hmm. so you having that board i think you need to also have a teacher there mm-hmm. But I also, so. it's, it can also, a bot can be a tool. So example, maybe yeah. you can have a virtual bot, maybe when kids are at home doing exactly. homework and there's a problem, you can have a bot that. It's just supposed to assist, them. period, mm. not supposed to take over the job. But I've had in some cases where um, the the manual part of the job is is removed. Those people lose their jobs. But there's another job which is created where now it's more technical, more advanced, more in quotes quality i'm not sure but yeah but there was this argument that i had from um there was this um video going around um winnie bianima the the oxfam oxford um, oxfam 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 sorry um she said that um she gave out a story on it was a conference the world economic forum that was happened last month and she said that a job like she she came to nairobi and then she talked to this taxi driver who used one of these taxi applications and she asked um how much these guys get so she said that um this taxi driver told told him told her sorry that she, he cannot afford even to get a house they share a room with three other taxi drivers they take shifts to sleep Um, and the shortest distance that, that you can pay for a taxi is 200 shillings. So is that value? Are we adding quality into jobs? Um, or are we giving people... Um, yes, we are creating opportunities, but are they quality? Are they dignified for people to actually earn a living out of it? Or are we just creating for the purpose of creating? Are we creating quality? Yeah. Yeah, quality and stuff. And would AI, for example, with driverless cars... Mm-hmm. Um, would that sort of because you don't need to pay a driverless car in a way so would yeah. that same um laborer divert the energy or the skill set somewhere else is that mm-hmm. more beneficial i think that's a good yeah. example of AI yeah you remove the displacing. manual the manual re, um reoccurring stuff that yeah. humans don't like to do and you create um jobs which are of higher quality mm-hmm something that can sustain families just creating quality yeah. not necessarily just creating opportunity let right. me let me let me ask about that right so we are devs we've learned how to program we've seen how grueling that is all of us have experience in how the numbers when we started and the numbers when we were finishing okay what numbers in terms of class numbers when we started At Moringa school yes and when we were finishing right so there has to be a time where we realize that not everybody has the capacity to upskill there is a reason somebody is doing a manual job okay some because of factors of life others because that's the job they actually cognitively can do okay yeah there is this thing that 10% of a particular population set has no capacity to function in society and do anything complex. We're making this world more complex, right? And we're removing livelihoods for people who have no capacity maybe to be the program, mm-hmm. right? So how are we fashioning our societies to be able to take care of those people when we are making 
opportunities up the, uh, out there more and more complex for a more specific skill set and a more specific type of person to fill in, yet the population is growing. Okay? Mm-hmm. So are we being real to say that this person will have other opportunities or are we just wishful thinking? I think Kwesi is coming from a psychology. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think yeah. personally for me, I would say just even according to Schumpeter's theory of entrepreneurship, mm-hmm. innovation is a process of creation and destruction. Mm-hmm. And so, of course, when a new technology comes about, for example, when electricity came about, mm-hmm. I'm sure some people were displaced to some forms of employment or livelihoods were displaced and destroyed, but it also brought about new forms of employment. So, for example, AI is a general purpose technology, the same way electricity was. Mm-hmm. When electricity came about, there were motors and cell phones and laptops and, you know, MRI and machines and imaging. So I feel like, I don't think as humans we should be fearful of the fact that a new technology is going to displace people. It will displace people. But because it will, we should also be thinking about how can we foster innovation Yeah. right because innovation cannot be stopped it and will happen automatically because yeah. like we Kwesi said initially that innovation is a yeah it, it, it's pro, it's fostered by necessity Sindio. and the moment or opportunity. All, and opportunity the moment these jobs have been displaced and these people are displaced it will automatically trigger innovation it's not a question of whether we can do that it will happen mm. it will just happen it will be a necessity and we know oh, humans what do you mean to, what do you mean it will just happen what systems have to i think there are systems that have to be in place so mm. that let's say for example in our education system mm. i think um going into the future this manual stuff writing in a book of course you need to know how to write of course but everything is on is on a tablet nowadays we mm. thank god that right now our kids will read something on a tablet they don't have to buy a physical copy of a book mm-hmm. I think first of all our systems of education has to change our our okay the government is the one which produces this education and i think that our government needs to upda- be updated Definitely. and mm. uh, speaking of kenya if you if you speak to someone about even if you look outside the country in a country like us there were when they were grilling um um Mark Zuckerberg on his facebook hearings some of those people don't didn't even the questions they were asking they were absurd even Mark Zuckerberg wasn't able to answer some questions so i think the government needs to the ICT industry in itself in its own space they need to get into the, edu- the education system and put this in place so that when our kids even us when even us when we leave these institutions we can go out into the market and not be just you you graduate with a degree and then you're sweeping you know so what you're saying basically is that the government or rather the education system needs to change yeah. you know such that it promotes technical know-how exactly. such that when this inevitable shift finally happens that when technology takes over and there's ai displacing people yeah. the people that Uh, there's there's enough people being checked out of the education system that can allow for innovation of new opportunities for the people that have been displaced. Yeah, there yeah. needs to be systems in mm. place. In a place like, let me not compare, but in Japan, they've created a system where um, right now you can do payments through blockchain, right? Mm. If the system wasn't there, and this system was in place because hundreds of millions of uh, yen, they were stolen from... Mm. And people lost uh, from this company that was um, um, giving, yeah. yeah. And they lost this money, and the government has to put these things in place. But if you see in Kenya, we don't have strategies for for disaster management, if I may say it in in that context. 
in a in, in our system of education i must say it's a disaster because we churn out graduates who who are not able to work in this society where it's right now it's ai it's ai taking our jobs it's all jobs being automated i think our system needs to be Okay, the, there I needs to be a disaster management process in our education system. The yeah. failure, the failure, primarily in, in this education system, I think it can be, it can come down to the lack of uh, equipment, technology. Yeah. Like you go to a school that they are teaching medical, maybe a medical course, you know, microbiology or something, and they still have 19 somethings microscopes, and these guys are struggling over there. You go to a to a, to a classroom for technology, and they're using laptops with 2 GB RAMs. These things can't run a software to to, to write code or anything whatsoever. Uh, I like the new education system. Actually, we, we, I had a discussion with this with someone recently, I don't remember who. And we're talking about how it, it's an education system that's meant to foster uh, extracurricular activities, but they, they are, they're imposing a new education system on the same schools that don't even have playgrounds. So how do you expect it to happen like that? See, it, it, it has to change primarily from the root, mm. that we, when the change comes, the people will be equipped Exactly. With the, with the technical know-how and, and the skills to, 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 to adapt to these changes. One thing I think we are all, we are all assuming is that see, because of the advent of AI, the new opportunities will necessarily be technical-based. Right. Yeah, because, but ideally, I think most cases, actually the first thing, we don't really know what new opportunities will arise. Yes. And most probably, a good number of them will not necessarily be tech-centered. Mm -hmm. Eugene, I think we know. I because, think we know. If you look at, if you look at, yeah, okay, because, finish your point. Yeah. Because uh, at some point, actually factoring the aspect like you see AI can actually code and program itself. Mm -hmm. So that actually means that at a certain point in time, the, the people who will be like real uh, people who will be needed to program or things like that, people who are needed maybe to maintain, not necessarily to build the systems. Right. Mm -hmm. Also another but thing is... But in order is, to maintain a system, you need to know how the system works, yeah, right? Yeah, but, but the people, the numbers will be marginal, probably. Mm -hmm. But then the, the, the other thing is I came across a report that's saying that most of the things will be that will be needed, which builds on the thing you were saying about creativity, are things that are centered towards either the arts or philosophy or ethics, issues to do with governance and aspects of that. So I think probably we are really focused necessarily only on the tech aspect, but the the future the future jobs or the futures of future opportunities that will arise. Personally, I don't think there's anyone who really knows the the full gist of what of what opportunities yeah of course we don't know all of them but i'm saying with the few that we know i think we should prepare preparation is better than we could prepare we could prepare but inadvertently prepare it's like caught in a narrative fallacy because we think this is what will happen yes we over prepare so for what one is thing, the, but what is the antidote for now and, and let me throw another <laughs> thing it might not necessarily be technical uh -huh. but it will be complex yeah exactly. it will always it's getting more complex so could we say then the best thing is to teach people basically probably Complexity involves problem solving, rational thinking, logic, yes. philosophizing yes. things. Maybe but things but like also that. but also and that's what one one of the things uh, I was asking. You need to teach people how to innovate, how to look at a Situations. set of stimuli or factors and make it better. 
and improve it and look at things differently from a different perspective. You see, how do you teach that? Because at the end of the day, the world is changing and the acceleration of change is compounded. Meaning, whereas before, you would go from primary school all the way till university and then find at the end of it that you have uh, that 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 uh, you still work for like four or five years and then things are changing. Right now you can start primary yeah. and by the time you reach, reach class fives, they're like different opportunities. Yeah. You, you go through uni, you start your degree. By the time you're finishing uni, especially in tech, yeah. you start your degree, by the time you're finishing uni, everything you learned in uni is not yeah, what you need in the market. It's yeah. changed in four years. Everything required has changed. You see, that rate of change requires a certain person to come in into into that into that environment, and that person needs yeah, needs to know how to deal with. So, like, you know, needs to be innovative by nature. Needs to come into a different perspective and still be able to survive. So, I can say maybe it's also flex a lack of flexibility on our systems. So, as technology tends to grow. Our systems are not very quick in accommodating these new changes. So, as you're saying that we need to create, we need to get systems, and government has to change. It's actually be very complicated because, as you know, government or power tends to become a late developer, late adopter of technology and stuff regarding to this. So, I can say maybe there should be more flexibility. Because, example, I can take Moringa for example. So, our when you finish the class. The, the certificate, the certification we are given is really complicated because every new six months there's a new technology, and to get a, the accredited yeah. for for this stuff is very complicated when it comes to the system. So we have to change how our system approves of stuff. So I can say maybe that's one thing that can be looked into. Yeah. So basically, if I if I can if I can put put it in a catchphrase that we're all familiar with, teach people how to learn. Learn how to learn. It can and be taught. Of, yeah. I think it can be taught. Mm. Like I think in this room we can all agree that we are all developers, you know? yes. And one thing that we learned when we started learning how to code mm. was that with time you sort of gain that ability to connect the dots yes. real quick. We learned it. Like mm. when we joined, when when we started coding, you didn't have it, but mm. with time you you were able to see possibilities in mm. code. But mm. I wouldn't attribute that to coding. Mm-hmm. No, I think I would attribute that to good education. Yeah. No, that's that's, 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 that's I, the thing I'm saying. That's something I would give Moringa it's credit evidence for. Evidence that yeah. even innovation can be taught. Mm. I, I'm not yes. actually, right now. I can't. I can't. I can't. I can't exactly say how it can be taught. You know, I've not thought about the curriculum and the change that can be made. But, it can. but it's proved that you can teach people innovation. You can teach people logical thinking. Get teach people how to see the world in a different way. Definitely. So it should somehow someone should just sit down and write a new curriculum that allows for these things to be. Learned. I think what I've seen with code is that, um, like for example, in Moringa, Moringa is a melting point for each and every single undergrad student that is out there. Mm. Look at you, statistics, psychology, computer science, finance. Each and every single industry needs some sort of innovation. That's why we're using code. Mm. So there has to be some up. I'm not saying up. The systems change, yes, Mm -hmm. but not as fast as we would want to, yes. But you need to update yourself each and every other single five years. So people are not even using their degrees that they graduated with ten years ago. Mm. They are doing 
totally different things because they've had to learn how to adapt, adapt to the market. So in the same spirit, I think our, our, our education system, our policies should be changed. And the people who are in place to change these policies, they should be, I don't know, they should look at the market, see what's changing and integrate this into the system. But it, it, it's going to be tough. Like, you remember like the, the, the situation where Moringa doesn't even give certificate of uh, actual certificate of education because of having to register. And the process is so tedious and long to yeah, change a curriculum. Yeah, give people their skills. Yeah. yeah. So it, I think it would require changing from such a high level so that even education systems on a higher level like the university levels can be able to adapt with the changing technologies and times real quick. Can I can I chime in in that, right? Yeah. You see, the system we're in is called democracy. Mm. Basically, it's a rule of, for, and by the people. Yeah. I'm uncomfortable with that thinking that mythical people who can change the situation. We are the mythical people. This is our country. Okay, I'm Tanzanian, but you get my gist. Yeah. This is our country. We are the ones who own it. We are the ones who can change it. The thing is, it always says that bad people prevail when good people do nothing. And I think we always just like let it, let it be there. Yeah, we just let it. For people, yeah, they should change. No, no, no. If we realize that it needs to be changed, we then change our communication and say we need to change it. What is this idea? This is the idea. I think we should do it. And we start moving forward with it like that. Because assuming that somebody who has their own stimuli will take up your cause and see things the way you're seeing, it's wishful thinking. If it pains you, you're the one to do it. Because So Kwasi, um, just moving forward to learning how to learn and dealing with imposter syndrome, um, you're a software developer and you're also a psychologist. So in your view, when you are learning um, how to code or when you are learning psychology, because as I said, I don't think I would attribute coding to changing the possibilities of how you solve a problem. I attribute that to a good education or fostering innovation or creating the right conducive environment for students or learners to excel, to prosper and to thrive. So just someone who's transitioned into software but still sort of tinkers with psychology, um, how would you say that education, I guess, fosters or can prevent imposter syndrome? Because I think for me, when I was learning how to code, I really had to fight this battle with myself or against myself that, oh, you know what, I'm not really good at this. But you start to realize even people who've worked in coding or worked at Google for 20 years still feel like they're not good at it. And a study actually came out that said, 58% of people who work at Facebook, Google, Amazon, um, Airbnb, Expedia, all experience imposter syndrome, and these are people who are really good. And the lowest rates came from people who worked at Uber and Apple. Interestingly enough, I don't know why, but about 45% of developers on average usually face or deal with imposter syndrome. So in terms of self-care and managing your mental health and yeah, just w what are your thoughts on managing imposter syndrome? What is imposter syndrome in your view? So I can say imposter syndrome. Actually, don't I don't like the word syndrome. Mm. But I can say imposter syndrome. Syndrome is when you're in a specific field feeling that you're a fraud or you don't belong there or you're not good enough to be of value or productive in this sector. So I can say how education can improve this imposter syndrome. I can say first is creating... An, 
circles or environments that people can be can feel comfortable to be themselves. So I can say example if you look at tech, when it comes to people in tech, there's usually cliches or how people are supposed to be in tech, you know, you play video games, this guy who understands all the references in movies yeah. and all that stuff. So I can say maybe this education can create a proper environment where people can interact comfortably without actually being in a certain circle of boxes. And also I can say within when I can say that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, what are your thoughts guys on, you know, when you were learning how to code or learning how to do anything? Can you like, you know, if if you look back at the first time you were trying to ride a bike, the first time you were trying to swim, just dealing with that sort of mentality that I can't do this or I'm not good at it and we can't be good at everything, yeah. right? Yeah. So how do you guys individually manage um your strengths and your weaknesses and just being self-aware enough to know that okay I'm not good at this but I can improve or I'm not good at this at all and I should focus on things I'm good at I think the cure to imposter syndrome is just towards just do it yeah yeah I remember like when I was learning to ride a bike. Those are three words actually. <laughs> Just <What>? do. <laughs> oh Jesus. Anyway, so <laughs> I don't know. Uh, uh, so that's, that's quite embarrassing. And then it's just three words. Just do it. I remember like when I was learning how to ride a bike, I remember very well, I, it was just out of nowhere. I was in it was a small bike and I was working on my legs ukochini uh pushing it and then suddenly out of nowhere I just pushed myself off of a wall and I was cycling and a few meters in I'm not falling a few more meters in but I'm not falling I turn and I'm turning and I'm going around in circles I'm not falling and I realized wow I can cycle same case happened when we, we were we were learning how to code You know like I remember in Moringa school and after a week f- reading LMS uh, that's learning my, uh, it's basically content uh, content for, for for learning how to code and finally it gets to Friday when you're expected to to build this application on your own and it's it's a project and you feel like man I don't think I'd like I've learned enough to do this but since you know you have that deadline you have to do it and you actually just start doing it and by the time Friday is coming around to, towards the end you realize wow I've actually done it So I think that's that's the cure to imposter syndrome. Just do it. You feel like you're afraid but you just tell yourself, you know what? Maybe I feel like I'm I'm, I'm an imposter in this field, but I'm just going to do it and it doesn't even take that long when you're into the into the actually whatever you're doing to realize that you're not actually an imposter. It's just a, it was just a feeling and you just get over it. For me, I'd say how I approach it is a bit more logical. I'd say first of all is self awareness so I try to understand exactly how I learn things across time my experience in learning new things then from that I get to understand my 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 learning curve when it comes to 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 acquiring new knowledge depending on the complexity so if it's theoretical or, or if it's challenging like mathematical or something of that sort so depending on the complexity I can know that it will take me around this certain period of time to understand xyz mm. so after that then I'll compare my progress or performance or my perception of my progress and performance depending on my previous experience regarding uh, relating to something of similar complexity now after that then is when I can say, I can determine when I'm actually if I'm actually learning something or if I'm actually wasting my time and there's nothing going going into my mind so after that if I if I if I get to a point where I see that it's not working and I still want to continue I iterate I find someone 
who can let me show me a new way to do it or like a new approach at learning until I get the you know uh, to the optimum yeah I think sorry about that um so I think there are many different ways to combat imposter syndrome but one of the things that really helped me the most was to hear anecdotes of people you think amazing developers who never make uh, mistakes or get stuck um hearing about some of the experiences with writing code um i remember in my early days at moringa um one of our technical mentors told us about um an individual at moringa school called jack um so he's been coding maybe since he was 13 and he's an amazing developer um so we were told the story of how um there's one specific aspect that our technical mentor could do really well it's um okay it's something to do with sending uh, a request um i think it was observables yeah so yeah so he could do this um really well and it was something that jack happened to um struggle with at the time so it starts opening your mind to like okay so these guys can also struggle with something it's something that i can do so and as you grow your knowledge from there you you feel like less of an imposter and you know that people are like everyone is unsure of stuff at some point i saw a, a tweet recently um that also really encouraged me it's from the the creator of python i can't remember his is he is his name guido van rossum guido okay. van rossum yeah so um i might be getting the name wrong but so um someone was someone was just tweeting about um how he bets like um that um mr van rossum yeah never struggles with with stuff so he tweeted them back it was like i genuinely like need to search how to do stuff in python every day and this is from the creator creative yeah the, from the creative python so when you you speak to other developers or just uh in developer circles you realize that it's it's one of the few careers where making a mistake is actually like um you encourage to speak about your mistakes and like learn from them mm. so yeah um i yeah that's how i deal with the imposter syndrome just speak to other devs and find out um like some of the fixes to things you things you you're struggling with yeah uh, how i deal with imposter syndrome is a bit different like everybody else is different so how i look at things is i can do anything any other human being can do there's nothing another human being can do i can't yeah, can you run fast like um usain bolt given the training <laughs> <laughs> let me answer given the training he went through <laughs> yes i can run as fast okay. or close to as usain bolt as actually the 100 meter nani in school as a sports jock so yeah i was in all the teams Yes, so anyway, that's that. So I can do anything another person can do. And if I'm given an opportunity, say if I'm given a job, right? So there's two factors, right? Is it a job on something that I've studied, for example, Python, a job in Python, I know I can do. If it's a job, for example, in PHP, I would say give me time to learn PHP. You get? So I can do anything another person can do given the time and effort. So that's how I approach it, right? And I forgive myself for when I make mistakes because I know every human being makes mistakes and every human being has the capacity to fail. So that's how I deal with imposter syndrome. Uh, so I can adding on that I can say also speciality. So you, as get the fundamentals then specialize in something because I can use an, an analogy that if I say maybe 
someone who all the Chris, Chris Froome example when it comes to riding a bicycle I'm sure he'll get imposter syndrome when he goes to a BMX court because yeah. these guys are doing something very different from what he's doing but they're still riding a bicycle yeah. so personally you should choose <laughs> what you want to do then specialize in this and you'll eventually you'll get comfortable because it also it comes from it stems from you comparing yourselves to others because you are you are the job you're doing something and you're seeing other people doing something with greater ease than you but when you discuss to them they'll actually tell you that you do other things that i struggle with and you'll never know about it so as kevin also said also discussions about it can can improve but i can say specialize and also look at your path yeah so for me i think i'll just say what victor iterate what victor said just do it um throughout that pro- you should just know that nothing comes easy and through that process know that you will if you're a person who cries you will cry through that process you if you obviously i got tired but you know you just pick yourself up and just keep on going just do it keep on going don't stop and surround yourself with people who do better than you so that you can if you're a person who gets motivated by that personally i am so i usually just surround myself with people who do better than me so that i strive to be better and actually mm-hmm. that the part of surrounding yourself with with other people actually that's quite true and you've seen uh, like uh, like these challenges like one that i'm currently not taking it's 100 days of code you know and it's it's really helping with the feeling that i can't do this thing do you know like you you putting putting yourself out there telling people like not even people like personally we do it on twitter so knowing that by this time i promised i'll have achieved this and you can't afford to have imposter syndrome when you know you have yeah. a responsibility <laughs> yeah. to achieve something and in that case it will now pressure you to just do it yeah you exactly know? i think i'm facing imposter syndrome because i've been wanting to join you guys <laughs> 100 i'm still mark timing on day one but so yeah sort I'll, of having yeah. an accountability partner or yeah. an accountability group will also help in the imposter syndrome yeah. problem yeah one last thing i'd like to touch on that's very important very crucial to your field and to humans in general is mental health and therapy and to some extent fitness and exercise you know they always say that if you plan to lose weight or if you're going gymming or exercising sometimes you you burn out and you tire not because of your body but because of your mind so telling yourself and pushing yourself to keep going even just what victor has said you're much more likely to um commit to going to the gym as opposed to buying kettlebells and then trying to like exercise in your room because you know you're accountable to someone in coding it's the same thing with pair programming you're much more likely to i think go further in my view than trying to teach yourself how to code um i mean just touching on also mental health and cyberbullying and therapy and how therapy is so expensive what's your view on how i guess uh therapy or counseling can be more accessible in Kenya because i think it is expensive managing depression managing managing anxiety managing um self doubt how do you think what do you think is an affordable accessible way to self care as a psychologist uh, so for self care affordable I can say maybe that that becomes a trick when it comes to counseling and all this stuff so technology technology has helped um, has helped it become more available i can say so you don't have to be with a counselor with a psychologist with a psychiatrist at the moment so that you can get the help that you need but also you do need technologies that can help this so i can say maybe people have created apps that can do this people have bots 
but it's going to be very difficult because when it comes to counseling, it's you need that personal touch from a human being who can sit down and understand you. And I will not AI example can does not have this amount of knowledge so that it can be able to help a human being. Or at least we have not pumped in the data and the information that is needed for it to be able to assist someone. So how I can say that tech can evolve in this at the moment I, I think tech is not ready to take this field and also assist it. But I think eventually when we have things like AI, green, green and also VR, because we have seen how, therapy, how VR can take on therapy example. So I think it's something that is going to happen, but at the moment, no. Uh, do you think, I do think, uh, uh, like I've seen attempts, several attempts at people to build like mobile apps, like there's one called Bestify Me and many, many others. It's a very long list. And the, basically, it's an application that sort of monitors you, you. It allows you to keep track of your day, your achievements, and along the way, you're sort of getting uh, like sort of like achievement medals. You've, you've achieved this. And then you, these, these quotes coming all your way and motivational things. Do you feel like this can actually help in terms of uh, psychologically affecting people? Are using technology in the form of applications. Do you think it will impact on people just like forego it after a while? As I can say, maybe eventually when we move out of phones, that mm-hmm. can be easy because, example, maybe when we get to the era where people will be having lenses mm-hmm. that have microchips that act as computers, mm-hmm. and it can be easy for you to have such technologies because it's more mobile, more movable mm-hmm. instead of using it on a phone. Mm-hmm. And also I can say maybe eventually errors are being done now that someone will notice someone in the future will take note of what is what is needed. So I can say this, as, as Melissa said, innovation also takes a lot of distraction. Mm. So whatever we are creating now will be destroyed, but someone will come up with a proper solution for it. Mm. But I think also we need technology to move ahead a little bit before we can jump onto that. Okay. Uh, I, w- I was going to ask, right, the field we're in is very stressful. It's high stress, high pressure situation. You can find that you occasionally do weeks where you're sleeping two, three hours a, a day, right? Can you give us tips on how to manage stress, how not to burn out, how to be able to find a balance in a place where we're just about to burn out, so we, we need a break, how to, to, to take time out? Are there life hacks that you can give us that will make us manage our mental health better so that we can you know, stay in the field for longer? Mm, so I can say, a lot of a lot of this stuff has been discussed. So I can say exercise, have friends, rest, turn off your computer. But also I can say one thing you can look into is a lot of people tend to take a lot of luggage. So I can say maybe you're trying to have a fitness lifestyle, you're trying to work, trying to plan for, to go for a holiday. Mm-hmm. You have friends, you have family. So I can say also reduce, decluster your life. Mm-hmm. Choose maybe three or four things you're going to concentrate on and stick to it. And also I can say have friends. I think maybe that's that's one thing that people don't have. Have friends outside work. And outside social media. And outside social media. <laughs> so that's, because I know that's one thing that affects techies. People get so engrossed into the whole industry and the whole circle that mm. you, you forget to, there's another life outside it. Yeah. Another thing I can add is meditate. For me personally, it helped me during uh, the Moringa experience. There were days I just leave uh, school at around 8 p.m., get home, 
but you know you have to to work on something once you get home so what i did is just turn off everything meditate for like 30 minutes it just it's like a mental reset you even sleep better yeah for me that worked i think what worked for me especially during my moringa experience i don't know if i've ever shared this mm-hmm. but i would not code outside of moringa mm. i would not for 20 weeks i did not and i don't know if it made me any less productive or any less efficient but i knew that even after week 20 i'll code in some way so there's no rush to amass every bit of knowledge right now i think that's how i would self care so when i would go home i would either gym or go out with my friends or you know um watch something else other than tech but i was not the type of person to show up at 8 leave at 6 and then go home and watch a youtube tutorial on how to learn flask or jungle i just shut off mentally yeah, and it worked for me i think it, it yeah so far so good and, 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 and the- but different things work differently for different you people so always on point yeah. really thank you guys moringa now i know the secret yeah. <laughs> you were always in zen yeah. like, no pressure the days where you try like even be like my hair's on that <laughs> yeah. you were always like legit on thank point you. i'm on a you i never like come to moringa even like anytime i find you like you're always and i was like yeah. what like yeah. and that's I, I, really, that's I mean really i think maybe it also comes from having done two degrees before moringa uh-huh. but i don't subscribe to the fact that oh you know you have to sleep at moringa mm-hmm. until three in the morning mm-hmm. and that's how you become a good developer mm-hmm. i don't think so i think wow. sometimes just shut off because okay. again in my uni life i would be the person staying up in the library until four in the morning mm-hmm. and did it fundamentally change my life mm-hmm. not necessarily mm-hmm. you know so i think maybe i've tried different things mm-hmm. and i found mm-hmm. what works for me mm-hmm. i think just find what works for you wow. if exercise works for you that's brilliant if wow. singing works for you amazing mm-hmm. but i think have something else going on for you besides coding because I actually have a personal story mm. of a friend of mine who enrolled into computer engineering mm. at the University of Manchester mm. and she was top of her class went to the same high school a student but when she got to uni I think she realized oh I'm actually not so good at this I will need to put in so much effort to catch up with my peers mm. and suddenly the only thing that she claimed as her own as what she's good at was suddenly not her strength and it crushed her she dropped out and she's wow. completely changed field and i think i mean it's it's very sad but i think don't have just one thing mm. that you have going on for yourself you know try things that you're not good at you know go running go i don't i don't know dancing mm. outside of coding have a life i think it's so important so and have friends who are also not just coders but things to add on the point of finding something that works for yourself Uh, I'd, I'd, I'd come back to something that it's very common actually out there and you'd be like you go to YouTube and at how success, successful people stay successful and they like they wake up 4am in the morning mm. they read a book reading a book is actually quite good <laughs> you do that <laughs> yeah. and you know they, there's all these mannerism and things that they expect of you but speaking for myself that shit doesn't work for me right yeah I cannot wake up in the morning and write code right. I just can't yeah I'm a night all by nature i write better code at 3 4 a.m. in the morning than i will at 6 in the morning so what i what i found for myself to work is i'll wake up in the morning i'll just watch random shit the first thing i wake up when i do is i go on social media i check my twitter i do and you'll you'll find numerous 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 videos and articles being like 
don't do social media in the morning. Maybe it works for them. Yeah. True, straight up. But it won't work for me. Mm. Mm. In the morning, even if I refuse to, to to check social media and I stick to writing code, I have tried it before and it doesn't work for me. So I'll just check social media, listen to a podcast, midday watch a movie and then when it gets to the evening that's when i actually start working do mm. i know that's when i'm at peak mm. maybe it's because it takes a while for my brain to switch on i don't know <laughs> but yeah. find your own thing find okay. the only thing that works out okay. don't don't watch don't don't read a book about how to be successful and it's telling you how you can wake up in the morning experiment on different things set a week this week i'll be working from 6 mm. to 8 If it doesn't work for you, change it. Mm. Say this week I'll be working at night. Mm. Eventually you'll find something that works. That's how I'll approach that situation. Oh, I That's found an interesting amazing. analogy mm-hmm. for that recently. So in the Buddhist religion, like the ultimate goal is to find nirvana. Yes. So in it would sound like enlightenment. Enlightenment. Yeah. Mm. So there's actually um, like a whole different chapter, like a whole different path. Um, that describes finding nirvana through like it calls it the path of the sl- of, of the sluggard so this is basically finding enlightenment through um, like maybe laziness or sloth mm-hmm. and finding the version of you that's most um, most authentically yourself mm-hmm. so um, like Victor was saying it might seem insane to people who are like pursuing success in the Um, like in, in the, the expected the way of life in way of life yeah. um so yeah i feel like there's um yeah you can find enlightenment in your in your own way mm. in your own path mm. so yeah um what did you want to say leo no yeah i i i find that interesting because the the truth is i i felt pressured right Mm. when especially when I was in Moringa because there were stories of people who just used to sleep there wow. and to me that, those were real coders right Gosh. so I, I always I always now here is where now you can say you know I said earlier here's where I eat my words I said earlier I can do anything mm-hmm. anyone else can do <laughs> let me tell you I realized like I, 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 I okay maybe I didn't want but I couldn't like just like you know be sleepless night wake up at and code all the way 24 hours coding me I, I, I need breaks yeah. I need time to like get out of the code I can't mm-hmm. like plow through uh, a bug and when I try to plow through I get stuck for longer than if I just stepped out talk to a few people and then it, it just light bulb goes up and like oh I go back I find in five minutes I've solved the bug but if I plow through it and I'm like you know on Uh, stack overflow and stuff I never get it until I talk to two three and they'll say something random maybe even talk about you know uh, Brian's samosas and then it clicks oh that's that work. and then I go and, and that's my brain works like that so yeah. my brain picks ideas from people and then I just make sense in it and it it, it it's relevant for something I'm facing so that's really interesting I should have talked I mean, to I you in morning you don't save my life working yourself yeah. staying up until you know four in the morning just trying to get through something sometimes you have to ask yourself does it make you more money does it make you happier does it make you more friends does it make you more successful You know, sometimes I feel like when you overwork yourself, it only marginally improves your life. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to live a marginal life. Yes. I want to live a very fulfilling life, you know? And so, yeah, it's just all about self-care. Really so, again, and I can also add that it also depends on the sector that you're working. So, example, when it comes to tech, you find most of us are creative. So, when it comes to 
you and work it has to be you have to be the most productive version of you exactly. so that's why you find people you have to get a pattern that allows you to be mm. very good so i can say example take a lot of rest mm. rest is very important and also deplug mm. yeah deplugs mm. from the system also mm. but i can say also when you look at jobs that are repetitive then mm. i can say that's now where this usually call i think it's hard work porn mm. where they tell you the entrepreneur does only mm. hours of sleep yeah. that's that's i think for repetitive jobs you actually have to do this cuz yeah. oh. most of the time you're doing the job doesn't really need a lot of mental dream oh. as compared to something like coding oh. so I can also maybe see what see what works for you and works for your sector so that you can also be competitive and productive again that's interesting when you're like an entrepreneur and you're like your business is transport or trucks you mm. get you get you you probably you have to be there and you yes. know you are talking to the drivers and you have to like talk to your customers rather than if you're like fixing yeah if you're like mentally you have to be 100% then there is a, it's a point of diminishing returns where the more time you spend the worse you're making it rather than the more productive you reach a point where you spend more time and it's it's just diminishing your 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 uh, what's that thing called your pro- returns yeah your returns yeah, yeah it's really so me personally i used to sleep on saturdays saturdays mm-hmm. i never touched good mm-hmm. and on sunday morning i used to take a break mm-hmm. um and then sunday afternoon i could like the whole oh, yeah. afternoon so and then um on weekdays monday tuesday wednesday I go hard i can sleep even at 3 am mm. but on thursday and friday i chill out for i don't touch code mm. at home mm. yeah so that kept me sane kept me on point so yeah you know actually what kept me sane especially throughout the moringa experience because i think for someone who hasn't been through it maybe they wouldn't understand mm-hmm. but through, through uh, throughout the prodev period you go through a series of mock interviews and mm-hmm. um i guess yeah technical interviews and behavioral competency interviews and so what i realized very early on is that okay melissa in as much as you can code toy problems are not your strongest area <laughs> but what i realized is wait a minute at this point if this is not what i'm good at melissa you're going to get really good at your soft skills yes. you're going to wow people mm. wow their socks off mm. and make them feel like you are the right person to hire yes. you can improve technically later as yes. you go along but right now be very good at what you're good at yes. like amplify your strengths mm. to the point where someone yeah. will look and think okay they may be weak at this area but when i hire them i can train them and they'll improve mm-hmm. and so i feel like if you're also a technical person and you're really good at um logical thinking and maybe you're not the most uh, i guess amazing public mm. speaker mm. you don't really have soft skills you're not social mm. amplify on the fact that you're really good technically and someone can say you know what they're shy but when we employ them they'll get really good at exactly. speaking yeah. to people so i think in terms of self care coding is very dynamic it's not just you can be good at one thing and this is the only path to follow it's it's a journey it's um a process it's a system and there are very many ways you can be a good coder i don't think being a co- a, go- a good coder is writing clean and dry code mm-hmm. i also don't think being a good coder is being mark zuckerberg or bill gates where you've made a billion dollars i think there are very many ways to be a good problem solver mm-hmm. um that's just my view like leading a team 
yes is one hell of a quality for being a good coder yeah yeah Do, i've i've been in a number of teams so far and let me tell you yeah the leader changes everything yeah so like that's even something you can specialize on mm. and like say i can lead a team in code i cannot write the cleanest code mm. but i can delegate mm. and make sure everything is working in unison and you and know you what you'll realize strength. is sometimes mm. the people who lead the teams are not even coders mm. and so it's so easy to get sucked up as someone said in this world of oh we're just devs and code and everyone understands agile methods and everyone understands technicality and the outside world no one really cares Mm. and people have lived their lives without our field or incorporating technology into especially like you know our parents and their generation like they lived perfectly fine without technology so i think just get getting out of stepping out of your comfort zone interacting with non-technical people as a way to self-care you start to realize oh, okay this thing that is consuming me and is so overwhelming is such a small minute aspect of the grand scheme of yeah. things yeah. that i think it's humbling in a way yeah yeah i think an aspect that um that sometimes undersold is having people um going through the process who you can look to and speak to often um so for the listeners at home the rest of the members of the podcast were like a class ahead of me so um we all friends So like um often they would come um to our room and hey Kevin what are you working on so I tell them what what I'm working on and they're like oh um that's that's not as important as you might think so like focus on some of these key areas um so Melissa would ask about toy problems and maybe Eugene would tell me like about some of the key things you need to look to in Django because um they've already been on the path so they have like a much clearer picture um like they have they, they they gave me the benefit of of hindsight is, is that it yeah yeah um so while you're actually on the journey you're panicking about how many different things you need to do um we 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 do an individual project maybe not no yeah we do an individual project every week so it's um you have maybe three days to complete um a large um yeah like a small to medium um Yeah, medium scale project so if you if you know someone who's already been through it and they already know the the key things that you need to to solve early um yeah like it just does a, a massive deal of of good for your mental health as compared to like trying to grind through it with like no map and not knowing exactly where you're going or asking for help it's important yeah. to also go without a map sometimes mm-hmm. so that when you figure it out I don't know me personally some most of the projects individual projects I never asked a question until now maybe Monday now when you're stuck on this bug now that's when you ask a question but most of the time I think it's also good for your mental health in some sort of way to figure things out on your own yes. Uh, uh, yeah yes and also ask ask a question where I'm a get some help where you know you know someone else has done it before and you 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 think you can get some help from them yeah. i find that uh, struggling with a problem so that you can figure it on your own has perks 
Sometimes. You'll never That's what I've said sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. You'll never forget it. But I think in, in, in sometimes you have to question the value that, what, what is it that you're trying to solve, you know? If you're trying to solve how to center an image in a div, mm. don't spend eight hours trying to figure it out. Yeah, us. yeah, yeah. I'm saying, But yeah. if you're trying to understand, like, the relationship between classes and methods in something, then that, that that's understandable. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which, is, which is very nicely. If you're trying to learn a new concept, mm. play around with it, experiment. If you're trying to accomplish a specific task, because in in programming and software engineering, there are infinite number of tasks. Mm. If it's learning a concept, play around with it, struggle with it, plow through, you know, you're, you're learning the concept. But if it's just a specific task, like you said, centering you know, an image, that's a specific task. Yeah. Spending a lot of time in it, and it's one task, and your application has thousands of tasks, I believe that then becomes counterproductive. Yeah. Ask yeah. about that specific task. But learning a concept, yeah. Plow through. Plow through, Sleep learn nights. the concept, you know, see different angles, experiment with it. That's our, our, our craft, you yeah. know, you experiment, yeah. I think at the end of the day, smart people stand on the shoulders of giants. Yeah. <laughs> and just to bring it back to coding, that's why frameworks were invented, right? Yeah. You don't have to spend time trying to reinvent the wheel. Mm-hmm. You can pick up on someone else's smarts and then make it better. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, actually, I, I saw. I was listening to this podcast, and they were they were discussing about the the topic of uh, frameworks and understanding like the vanilla, the the root, the vanilla language. And this person, he's he's an experienced, but he has like sixteen years experience in programming. They're the people who started coding without frameworks, you know, like mm. writing PHP yes. without Laravel. <laughs> so, and. The, the answer he gave is that it depends on what your intentions are. Mm. If intentions is building websites for clients or web apps or mobile applications, mm-hmm. then just be good at frameworks. Don't even bother with the vanilla. But mm-hmm. if you intend to make an impact in the field, if you intend to uh, tweak the frameworks and make them better, then you can actually learn the vanilla. Mm-hmm. You see? Like this is a point of understanding your intentions and yeah. your, your long-term yes. goal so that you can learn what's necessary. Like if you don't ever intend to build your own framework, don't Why spend too much time learning the vanilla. Just be good at the framework. Yes. It's what you, it's, it will be a tool of trade. Yes. Be good at it. Yes. So I, I think bringing it back to Kwesi, in terms of we are creative, and so the process has to be personalized. Find what's best for you and... Uh, you, you do you. It's been a really interesting talk. And uh, before we leave and sign out, I'd like to give Kwesi any final thoughts and tell us how we can reach you. Uh, so thank you for having me here. Uh, the discussion was good. And I think we're, we can continue having more discussions because we have not yet gotten that deep into the field of psychology and tech. Mm. Yeah, so to reach me out, I think I'm on Twitter. I am on Twitter. <laughs> I am on Twitter, uh, Kwesi underscore M. Yeah. Okay. Thank you so much uh, for listening and join us next weekend. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's Peace been out. a pleasure. Thanks. Bye.